0: When you're faced with adversity, do you flounder or fly? I'm Simon Ratcliffe and on Turning the Tables, I share candid, powerful stories of people who have turned around adversity in their personal or business lives to find new purpose and meaning. In each episode, I will dig deep to uncover the mindsets that turn adversity into advantage. Welcome to episode 22 of Turning the Tables and a different kind of story. A story about business. And in today's terms, the rather unfashionable story of building a wholly owned global business over the long haul of 30 years. A story about learning from failures. A story about belief, focus, determination and commitment. In an era when society seems to worship the short-term, venture-capital-backed, unicorn entrepreneurship model, my guest Nick Wheeler's business approach is something of a rarity. Founded in 1986, over the last 30 years, Nick has steadily built his Charles Tirrett shirt business to over £200 million turnover operating in countries all over the world and employing 1,300 people. Nick is also married to Chrissy Rucker, founder of the similarly successful White Company, another business that does not have outside investment and has followed a similar business model. In our conversation we talk about how is early failures with a photography and Christmas tree business taught him lessons that paved the way for the development of the Charles Tirrett business.
1: But generally people will come up with basically quite simple ideas. You know, I've always had simple ideas because I'm not particularly hugely clever, hugely tech. I just sort of think, right, Christmas trees, you know, they've been around for a long time, but I'm going to do a better quality tree. I'm going to have better service. I thought I'll deliver them and pick them up, you know, because I knew that people found it a pain having to get rid of the stupid tree at the end of Christmas. And um, you know, I could buy them for two quid and sell them for 20. So it just seemed, that seemed pretty magic. I thought I'm going to have the greatest Christmas tree business there's ever, ever been. Uh, and pretty soon I discovered that I had a pretty bad allergy to Christmas trees. <laughs> I sort of came out in sort of red and yellow blotches, carrying these incredibly prickly. And after a while, I mean, they really, really got to me. So the whole thing was actually a bit of a disaster.
0: How an entrepreneurial spirit and a hatred for authority meant even from the early days, he was destined to start his own business and be in control of his own destiny. The benefits of a paternalistic business model that values people and culture alongside profit. And finally, his advice to young entrepreneurs who are just starting out. This episode was recorded before the current coronavirus pandemic. Our conversation begins by talking about those early failures. So, welcome, Nick Wheeler. It's great to be talking to you. Thank you very much. Very good to be here. So, obviously, most people, I think, will probably know you as founder of Charles Turrit Shirts. And I, I guess, from that point of view, a very successful entrepreneur. But I was reading a quote which said, from failed photographer to German streets king of shirts. What happened there?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. It, it, it's... Um... I always feel funny, actually, when people say I'm a very successful entrepreneur because it's—I don't feel it. You know, I don't feel any different today than when I either first started the business or, in fact, when I was the failed photographer and, and many other things that I failed along the way. It was photography was actually something I did at, at, at school. I—I um, I always knew I wanted to have my own business. I, I sort of—you ask people now what they want to do, nobody has any idea ever. But I just always knew I wanted my own business, and I think that started from when I was very small. Uh, but the photography business at school was—I I, I used to. It sounds a bit grubby, but I'd sort of do anything for a for a quick buck, really. <laughs> um,
0: photography is quite a, a sort of esoteric area yeah, to go no, into.
1: No, it is, but I—but I wasn't. It wasn't really the creative side of photography. Not particularly creative. It was. Uh, I was sort of trying to create a sort of photographic machine. And I I used to stand on bridges along the Thames. I think Hammersmith Bridge was one of the main ones. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Head of the River race or these river races where you get literally a thousand boats uh, going down the river. And, And I'd just sit there taking a picture of every single boat. And then I'd do a print and send it to that school or college or. And I'd try and get them to order a print and then I'd go into my little dark room at school and I'd I'd print them out and send them to them. So it was a it was a factory. There was no creativity. It was just a machine for you know, a print would cost me ten P and I'd sell it for three quid, which actually was probably too little. But it was just like the magic of turning ten P into three quid was something that just made me think, wow, this is incredible.
0: Well, that was the classic entrepreneurial, you know, story in a way, isn't it, of starting with something small and then yeah, Finding I think you love the whole idea of it. I think
1: it's seeing the, the wonder of, of business. You know, some people, if you mention a business or business to them, they go, oh, God, you know, suits, blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. But it's like seeing the magic in it. You know, some people will see the magic in music or, um, you know, art. I just sort of sort of see the magic in business, which a lot of people say, oh God, that must be dull. But actually I just absolutely love it. It's just a it's it's a magic process. You know, taking ten P and turning it into three pounds is a magic process.
0: What 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 is it about that magic that if you try to put your finger on what, what it is that's the nub of it, what makes I, it so
1: I, I, I suppose it's sort of creating it's creating something out of nothing. You know, when I when I, you know, I I I went from after the photography, I I went into I had a Christmas tree business. And you know, again, Christmas trees, it was that thing where, you know, I bought these Christmas trees. I found somebody in Wales who had just thousands of Christmas trees sitting in his on a on a Welsh hilltop. And you know, I could buy them for pretty much nothing. And then I found people in I was at university and I found people in Bristol and in London. it's come and i sell door-to-door, door, and they were prepared, you know, I'd buy a tree for two quid, and they prepared to buy, a tr- buy that same tree off me for 20 quid. It was like sort of magic. Um, unfortunately, there's quite a lot of big process in the middle of getting the blooming tree from the Welsh hillside <laughs> to the people's door. And I always tried, whenever I started any, whatever little business I had, I'd always, I've always believed that, you know, you don't have to come up with something very special. You don't have to be very clever. You just have to do something better than other people are doing it. You know, if you're the luckiest person in the world or the cleverest person in the world, whichever way you look at it, you might come up, you might start Google or Facebook or Amazon. But generally, people will come up with basically quite simple ideas. You know, I've always had simple ideas because I'm not particularly hugely clever, hugely tech, hugely... I just sort of think, right, Christmas trees, you know, they've been around for a long time, but I'm going to do... I'm going to do a better quality tree. I'm going to have better service. I thought I'll deliver them and pick them up, you know, because I knew that people found it a pain having to get rid of this stupid tree at the end of Christmas. And, um, you know, I could buy them for two quid and sell them for 20. So it just seemed that seemed pretty magic. I thought I'm going to have the greatest Christmas tree business that's ever ever been. Uh, And pretty soon I discovered that I had a pretty bad allergy to Christmas trees. I sort of came out in sort of red and yellow blotches, and carrying these incredibly prickly. and after a while I mean, they really, really got to me. So the whole thing was actually a bit of a disaster. And then the trees that were, the Welsh, you know, classic sort of, I, I, I'm half Welsh, so I can say this, but you know, Welsh people are fantastic sort of, fantastic singers, which I'm not, and salesmen, which, which I'm, I'm probably a better salesman than I'm a singer, but he told me the pine needles would never fall off, you know, the old Christmas tree story. <laughs> And these pine needles, I mean, they'd almost all fallen off by the time I delivered the tree to the customer, let alone picked it up at the end of Christmas. So I had lots of very unhappy people chasing me out of their houses when I turned up looking red and yellow, blotchy, and trying to pick up their trees. So that was a disaster as well.
0: But that philosophy you described about doing something better and you talked about service, I mean, I guess that's the heart of Charles Turrett, really, wasn't
1: it? It's absolutely, absolutely the heart of Charles Turrett. You know, it, it was a... You know, and it's funny because I, I get a lot of a lot of people now. They, you know, you meet a lot of people who, a lot of closet entrepreneurs. You know, they wanted to start their own business, and and the, the, invariably the reason they will always give for not starting their own business is is they just didn't have the idea, and it's because it's because people think they have to come up with with Google, or Facebook or Amazon. You know, they, just, you know, they don't think they can just do a simple. You know, start selling. You know, a glass or a mug or a or a rug. You know, but just sell it you know, slightly better quality, or slightly better value, or slightly better service. So when I came up with the shirts, I thought, I'm just going to do, and in a way, you know, I've been doing it 33 years now, so it's a, it's a long time, and I, I sort of decided very early on there was a sort of few key rules. I wanted, um, you know, I wanted to offer great quality, great value, great service. I wanted the customers to be really happy. I wanted the people who worked in the business to be really happy, which initially was just me. A long time it was just me. So I just wanted to be really happy. I didn't want to do, you know, the reason for doing it was because I wanted to, you know, I did have the odd job, um, and I saw people in jobs. You know, I worked at Harrods, I worked in Victoria Wine, sort of almost holiday jobs. And people would be a bit miserable. And I thought, mm. well, I don't want to be, I don't want to be miserable, and I don't want anybody, if I ever get anybody working for me, I don't want them to be miserable miserable either. And also I wanted the suppliers to like the business. You know, it's, 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 getting, it's getting all those sort of key groups of people involved in the business to love the business. So it doesn't matter the fact that, you know, I started a shirt business, anybody, you know, people start, shirt, there's somebody out there starting a shirt business today, there's somebody who started one yesterday, and there's someone who will start one tomorrow. And that mm. has been every day for the last mm. 200 years, probably, somebody mm. somewhere in the world starting a shirt business. It's just not magic, it's just, it's having a long-term view, which is really important. Um, you know, I, I never wanted any outside investment because I knew that outside investors would, you know, they'd want to, um, well, they'd probably, quite quickly, they probably want to chuck me out. So that was the main, one of the main reasons. Um, but also, they have a short term view. I wanted a long term view. I wanted to build something really great over a long period of time.
0: I mean, we were talking about that, weren't we? I mean, in a way, that's, that's almost the opposite view to business now, isn't it? It's all about the short term view rather than the long term view.
1: Yeah, well, it it it's a um, the problem with business is it tends to be the people with the money tend to drive the behaviour, and so you have the entrepreneurs, and you have the people who 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 give money to entrepreneurs, which is you know private equity, venture capital. The venture capitalists, private equity people tend to sort of train the entrepreneur to think in a certain type of way. If I I meet a a private equity guy, his his first question even now will be, you know, so what's the exit? You know, the the whole thing is is what's the exit? The exit. Mm. I have no exit. You know, I'm not interested in exiting. Um, That's not why I started the business. There's lots of reasons I started the business and the exit was just not one of them. And I think, you know, a lot of people now when they start a business and they raise money, as soon as they raise money, they've effectively they're on the path to selling the business yep. because they're tied into you know, the plans of that financier. Yep. To, um, you know, he, that, that financier has to, has to realise a return within yep. a certain period.
0: And most of those are between three and five years generally, aren't most they? Most of
1: them are three to five, maybe a bit longer, maybe five to seven. Mm. But you know, the, the, the number of people who are prepared to wait ten years to get their money out is absolutely minimal. Mm. So it's a sort of, um, and it's a real, I think it's a real disaster for, for, and it's quite peculiar to this country actually If you look around Europe, you know a lot of the, or Japan, you know they're they're much more long term. And you look at you know some of the German private businesses, you know they started sort of a lot of them started just after the war actually, and they've stayed in the family. You know they it wasn't about making a quick buck and and, and selling it. It was about building up a good, solid, proper business. I think it it it's one of the it's a bit tragic in this country because, you know, taking a business from zero to ten million is probably ten times harder than taking a business from ten million to a hundred million. And and the person who takes it from ten million to a hundred million will usually make ten times more money, not that it's about the money, but they'll make ten times more money than the poor person who's taken it from naught to ten. And entrepreneurs get sort of persuaded to sell their businesses too early and it's it's a real shame because the fun bit is, is making a difference mm. and you're making more of a difference taking the business from 10 to a hundred than you are from naught to ten and, and a lot of entrepreneurs get sort of um they're not allowed or you know they're, they're convinced that that's not their
0: role and that's not mm. you know their, their purpose that that philosophy you talked about I mean did, did that where did that come from was that anything out of your childhood, or where do you think that perspective came from?
1: It's a good question. I always I, I like that if I'm going to do something, I want to do it well. So the whole idea of doing a sort of doing something quickly and cutting corners has never really appealed. Quite why I don't know, but it was a sort of fairly natural thing. And it was, you know, it was incredibly early on. You know, everybody, everybody said to me, "Look, you can either have." a small slice of a big pie or a large slice of a small pie so they said you know you if you're going to build this business you have got to you've got to bring in some outside investors and you'll 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 end up you know your your stake will be more valuable but it'll be a small stake in a, in, a, in a bigger business and i just said well i just don't want that you know i want a um i actually want to i want a large slice in a large pie and if that's going to take me 80 years then it takes me eighty years. Mm. I don't care. You know, I'm mm. not. I, I'm not doing this for a five to seven year horizon. Mm. You know, it's a bit like. I mean, when, you know, when I was when I was when I was very when I was little, what I really wanted to be was um, I wanted to be Mick Jagger. I, you know, I wanted to be a you know a sort of pop star that could stand on the stage and sing to a million people in Brazil. Is
0: that why the Gibson? Okay. Dis- Guitarist standing the in, the guitarist corner corner
1: there. in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I've never quite made. You never, you've never given never, up the dream. Quite I've never given up the dream. It's never too late, you know. Do do something and do it well. Be the best in the world at what you do. And you know, I couldn't really sing, so I wasn't going to do that. Or I'd like to be. You know, it'd be great to be an artist to create something really special that sort of lives on forever. You know, pieces of art that are just amazing. And I, but I, you know, I can't paint. But what I can do, I discovered, is I can sell shirts. So shirt sure, that is my that is my sort of. Contribution to mankind. Now, you know, I'm probably the only person in the world who thinks it's a um, remotely valuable contribution to mankind, but, you know, that, that's, that's it's a my fundamental item
0: for everybody, yeah,
1: isn't yeah. it? Sure. I'm keeping people well dressed. And also, I, you know, I, I, what we try to do is we like, you know, we want to make it, we want to make men feel good. You know, you put on a nice shirt and, and you feel good, you know, and that's, that's important.
0: I guess it's a, you know, it's a long journey from. That first shirt you sold to where you are now. What what's been the biggest challenges in that journey? I suppose one
1: of the things about not having any outside investors and not having any outside money is that you don't really get any outside help. Outside help can be can be a hindrance or it can be a help. But what I've tended to do is I've 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 reinvented a lot of wheels. You know, if you get an outside investor, they'll put people on your board who will be you know if they're good. They they will be very helpful and they'll stop you making stupid mistakes, but I never had that. You know, we, we've um, I've just sort of ploughed on. I've always, I always believed the business was common sense. You know, you can you can however complex the problem or the issue, you just look at it in the cold light of day and you think think it through and you think you know what's right, what's right for all the stakeholders. What you know, what is the right thing to do and do that. And I've always thought that would work. And and. You know, to an extent, that's true, but I still just made some pretty horrendous and stupid mistakes that um, that I think if I'd had you know, some outside help, wouldn't it wouldn't have happened. You know, 33 years is a long time to be selling shirts. And a lot of people say to me, how on earth can you get up every morning and think, mm. oh, whoopee doo I'm going to sell a few more shirts today, you know, for the, God knows how many days there are in 333. Lots. But it's a lot, you know, and... and, and you know there are times when you it's usually when the business is going well it's a very dangerous period when the business is going well and you're feeling like you know there's no firefighting there's no there, the, you know it feels like it almost feels like there are no issues there's no problems there's nothing to solve um that's when it gets really dangerous because you start um believing in your own sort of invincibility you start believing actually you're really quite good at this and you know my my mistake was to um it was basically losing it was losing focus. You know, we, we we were we were a men's mail order shirt company. We were selling shirts by mail order to men. And it was going really well. I mean this was in nineteen ninety-four. We got to two and a half million pounds sales, making a quarter of a million pounds profit. Everybody who you know, I'd been doing it for eight years. For the first four years I did twelve thousand pounds a year, didn't grow at all. Everyone was telling me to give up. Everyone just said you're crazy. This is ridiculous. Give up. Don't don't waste your time. And suddenly it was doing really well, and it was you know fantastic. And so,
0: can you put your finger on what it was that moved it from that twelve thousand pounds a year? On what what happened?
1: I think I think it was because you know often people come up to me now and they say you know I've been doing my business for five years and it just hasn't taken off. And I think the really important thing in those first. First years, and why a lot of businesses, they, they, they t- it takes a while to get a business to take off. You know, you've got to build whether you're building a brand or what, you know, whatever the business is. It, it does take a while, and I think the really important thing is you've just got to really learn. You've got to learn your business, um, especially if you know, like me. I mean, I just, you know, I'd been doing a shoe business, which is, which is a disaster, and I, and, it, and it, that was, you know, it's that ended. And I thought, oh dear, what can I do now? And I just thought shirts. So there's no research. I didn't do. I didn't know anything about shirts uh, other than I knew I liked opening a packet and wearing them. So um, you know, it was very much learning on the job. And those first four years, when I didn't grow, I was just learning. I was learning about shirts, and it was good because I wasn't going to raise any money. So I didn't have any money. So I couldn't lose any money. It was actually it's quite a good position to be in. You know, a lot of people they come up with their idea. The first thing they do is they go and raise some money from friends and family. And, and you know, it's amazing when you raise money, you don't actually realise that making money is really quite difficult. Spending money is, you know, that is really the easy bit. So what people tend to do is they raise the money from friends and family, they lose it pretty much straight away. They've already they've given by this stage they've given away half the business. And they then have to go out and raise some more money, at which point they've given away, you know, the next another and you know, another you know, they they end up with twenty percent of the business and they're hardly even started. You know what I did is I had no money so I couldn't that was that made it did make it hard to grow the business but I just learnt about shirts you know I learned about what made a good shirt um, I learned about you know a little bit about marketing on a very very small scale you know what worked we did, I did little leaflets you know what sort of photography worked what price point worked so it was just learning 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 and then it got to the point where I knew I could start to scale it up a bit
0: I mean, it's the it's the classic testing process yeah, you're is, going yeah. through, but as you're saying, you were doing it without the pressure of investors sort of yeah. expecting you to deliver, you know, in a very short period of time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: What did you learn from that early process of talking to customers and getting things right? What did you learn about the fundamentals of getting the business right in the long term?
1: It's about having some very simple rules. It's about having. You have to be honest with yourself, you have to be honest with your customer about what, you know, what is it that really matters. And it was, you know, I had that quality service value thing. I had that thing of, you know, I wanted the customers to be happy. I wanted I wanted anybody working in the business to be happy and I wanted the spouse to be happy. And it, I think it was just, it, it, it reinforced those key messages. You know, I knew that if this was going to be my life's work, I had to be able to always sleep at night. You know, it's, it's, um... You know, some people take the view that you know to succeed in business you have to be very ruthless, and and we can all think of examples of people who are, who are not very pleasant people, mm. you know who have succeeded in business. Um, what tends to happen is eventually they tend to come unstuck. You know, they, it, it doesn't go on forever. You know, what comes, what goes around comes around. And I think I wanted, you know, I knew that I was going to be doing this forever. I don't, I, I didn't want anybody to turn up one day and say, you know, you treated me very badly ten years ago. You know what are you going to do about it? I didn't. I, I didn't want that. So I wanted to be, for to, to, the business to have integrity, and 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 basically just stick to that quality, value, service. And I think if you do that, then then you know you can't go wrong. You know you you, you, you will create a great business.
0: Well, were there any moments in the journey where you thought, "Wow, this could go badly wrong," or you know you thought? Well there, was, well,
1: there was that point, there was, there, was, there was the point in 94 when I bought the children's clothes shops and I and I'd lost more money in three months than I made in the last three years and went bust. So that was a shock uh, because I, I'd sort of, you know, a few months earlier I felt this is just so easy. I am invincible. This is, you know, I am, I'm, I'm actually quite good at this. Everyone said I was useless and hopeless, but actually I'm quite good at it. And then, you know, three months later I was bust. So that was a damn good kick in the teeth and, qu- and quite a good lesson. And, um, It's one of the, I always think with entrepreneurs, you know, nobody really, people don't, people have to make their own mistakes. You know, that's the problem. Even if I'd had a mentor, we're talking about mentors earlier, if I'd had a mentor or directors of the business or investors, they might have told me that I was doing the wrong thing. But but entrepreneurs, by definition, you have to be, you have to have self-confidence, you have to believe in yourself, you have to, you have to be an optimist. And whatever you read in the books or whatever people tell you, you believe that you're slightly different. It's slightly different for you. And actually, in reality, funny enough, it's not probably not that different. And, you know, people could have told me that I should have concentrated on shirts, but I, and I probably wouldn't have listened. And, um, you know, I made that mistake and I bought those children's clothes shops and we went bust. And then... I, I suppose from that, you know, having you know, making the mistake yourself is one of, is is a very, very valuable. It's very valuable. I mean, in, in my case, then it was effectively I I almost completely lost the business after eight years, and I remember, you know, feeling really quite upset about it. Um, as you would, <laughs> as I would. But you know, got the business back going, and and you know, it grew it grew from two and a half million pounds sales then to ten years later, we were doing forty million pounds sales.
0: What was it that you did? At that point, you know, when you thought the business you'd lost all that money, what? what how did you rebase yourself to get to grow again? Or was um, it about you rather than about the business? I think it was. It was, um,
1: and, and I suppose you pr- almost have to be an entrepreneur to understand this. Is that I just knew in my heart that this business was going to work. It, it's that sort of slightly insane belief. It's that insane resilience. Everybody around you is saying, look. Well done. You've given it a good try. Now, just for God's sake, go and get a proper job. You know, I was sort of what was I then? I was twenty-eight. You know, it was starting to look. You know, it was. I, I was getting to that point in your life when taking risks get, gets harder. You mm-hmm. get sort of responsibilities, and mm-hmm. people expect things of you. You know, they expect you to be a bit more grown up. Um, but I just believed it would work. I, I, I just knew it would work. And, and it's a, it's dangerous because obviously I didn't know it would work. Um, and, you know, it comes back to whether, you know, whether people can, you know, if you are determined enough, can you achieve anything? Can anybody, could anybody be the prime minister of this country if they put their mind to it and absolutely believe in it? And it's a, it's a difficult one to argue for or against because, you know, not you, not many people are prepared to sort of take part in a social experiment to give up their life for 40 years to try and prove whether that's right or wrong. Um, but I just I just knew it would work. Don't ask me why, I just did. But I think that's being a sort of crazy entrepreneur.
0: So having had this business for such a long time, over a long period of time, how have you balanced that with, you know, your, your personal life? And... Well, I think the reason,
1: one of the reasons I wanted my own business is that I wanted to have control of my own destiny. So, you know, when I was at school, I hated being told what to do by anybody. Um, my real claim to fame at, at uh, I, went, I got sent away to school when I was eight, um, and you know, in those 1970s, you know, you you had to you had to show respect to your teachers. That was it was quite a big deal. And, and maybe it's still the case, slightly less so, I think now. But you know, you used to have to call everybody sir. And I think my real only real claim to fame was that I managed to get through my entire five years at my prep school without ever calling anybody, any of the teachers sir. <laughs> and I had a few real proper standoffs with sort of teachers sitting there with a slipper saying, You will call me sir. And I said, No, I, I'm not gonna call you sir. And so, I don't know how I, you know, I, and I managed to get through it. And that was my, I remember feeling rather proud of that fact. It's sort of a bit what, tragic. What stopped you?
0: What, what stopped you? What was me the thing in you? Yeah, what was the thing I in you felt, I just
1: felt that, I, I mean, I think I think people have to earn earn the respect. And that's not to say they had not done that. I mean, they're all good teachers, but I just felt that we were equal. This is sort of slightly crazy. You know, I was a little eight year old, or, you know, nine, 11 year old. And, I just sort of thought, why should I call why should I call them sir? You know, they're my teacher, which is great. And I was very polite. I've always been very polite, but I just don't see why I should call them sir. It just shows a sort of subservience. I don't know. So I just always wanted I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. I don't I don't I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. I wanted mm. to to be able to, you know, to, to have my run my life so that if I decided I want to stay in bed all day on a Wednesday or, you know, any day of the week or then I could. You know, no one would ring me up and say, "Get out of bed." You know, that's what I like about having your own business. You can, if I want to go on holiday for six months, I can. I mean, in reality, you don't because, you know, I've always. I mean, I feel like I haven't done a day's work in my life in the last thirty-three years. I haven't done a day's work, I've loved every day. You know, I've, I go through the weekend and I work at weekends still because I love it. But but sometimes I'll I, I won't I, you know I'll 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 take a load of days off and still usually stay involved with the business because I want to do that. Um, and it, it, it's you know I think that's great. It's great having that sort of um, just not feeling beholden to anything and being and not having anybody anybody being able to tell me what to do.
0: But it's also the ultimate responsibility, isn't it? You, you can make you, no one is forcing you to make a choice. You're making it. So for right or wrong, you're responsible.
1: Yeah. It becomes it becomes much more of a responsibility as the business grows because you know initially its literally just you, and okay, you are slightly—you're sort of responsible for the customers. I mean, you—you—you—you you, you, you they they send you some money, so you're responsible for their money. But as the business grows, you know, I think we've got about thirteen hundred people working in the business now, and that become—that's a big responsibility because that's, you know, that is thirteen hundred people. And, and and as you know, right from the beginning when it was just me, I, I I wanted I wanted the people who work in the business, I.e., just me, to 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 like working in the business. And now there's thirteen hundred people. I want those thirteen hundred people to really like working in the business. I want them to look forward to coming to work. I want them to go on holiday and think whoopee do I'm going back to work on Monday. And that's quite a difficult thing to get to do with with people who who work in the business and sometimes you know they're working in the business not doing you know not all the jobs are necessarily the most exciting jobs in the world. You no. know we've got we've got all sorts of different jobs and roles. And So it's it, it's not easy to do, but it, it it does. It it's a big responsibility and I feel that. And um you know it's become It it's 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 both. You know, I do. It's sort of it's a good it's a good and a a bad thing because it 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 does add it adds a pressure that I didn't have when it was a much smaller business. Mm -hmm. Um, But equally, you know, when people do, what I love more than anything else is when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, Nick, I just want to tell you that this is the best job I've ever had. You know, I absolutely love working here, and you feel like you've made you've made somebody's life a bit better. You know, that that's a great feeling.
0: I guess that's also part of the value equation, isn't it? Because you know, if people in the company are feeling that. Then, what they give out to customers is going to reflect that as
1: well, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. So, obviously, also you're, you're you're married to Christine, who has her own business, the White Company. I mean, how how has that worked? Um, Both very successful businesses. Have you ever felt you're in competition? We've never, I've
1: never really, no, we've never really, I've never felt like we're in competition, actually. Although it's, there's a bit of fun competition, I suppose. I mean, it's, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I think the White Company is just a fantastic business. Um, you know, she has an amazing eye and she has an amazing sense of brand and product. And she will... Absolutely bend over backwards to make sure that every single product she's selling is right. Mm. And and it shows, you know. I think, um, you know, their shops, I was, you know, in their shop in Simmons Street, Sven Square yesterday, and it's, you know, it smells fantastic. It looks fantastic. Everybody's friendly and lovely. And you just go in there and you just feel like you're in a sort of, the world is good, you know. The world, sometimes you walk around and you feel, this is not a good world. You know, there's all sorts of things that are, that are not going well, you know, for, for all sorts of people and in 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 all corners of the world, and and it's um. You know, it just feels, you know, I was I was in, I you know I I was involved at the, right at the beginning of the white company, um, and I feel. You know, a little bit, a little bit responsible. You know, it, it it's and that's nice. It's nice, and I. I think the other thing is that you know I always you know I love persuading young people who I think are the right people to start their own business. And it's about persuading people that, you know, anybody can do it within reason. But you have to have there are certain there's certain criteria you need. And I think, you know, with Chrissy, it's a she is fantastic. And, we, and yeah, we both are. You know, we both it, it's it's sort of the proof of the putting is in the eating. And it you know, she left school at 16, a few O levels, and then she went off and got a job, but she never, you know, she's got no qualifications. She's she's no there's she didn't go to business school, or or go and have, you know. I mean, she just started a business. She's never had any outside funding, um, no outside shareholders, and she's created a great business. And, you know, and it's it's rare for two people obviously to be married to each other having having those very quite similar businesses, very similar size. Um, but it's a it, it's sort of proof that that anybody can do it, and yeah. I think that's a very powerful message. Yes. You know, we both love it, and and I want other people to do the same thing. Yes,
0: that has been having that journey, doing it in parallel together. Has that helped in terms of some of the decisions you've made along the way?
1: Yeah, no, I think it, it has helped actually, because invariably, you know, both businesses have had ups and downs along the way, and um, I think if you're, you know, in a, I suppose in a normal inverted commas family where there might be one business, um, which maybe be both. Both husband and wife, or both partners, work in. Um, it's quite a high risk. You know, you've got one business. If that one business goes wrong, that's a complete disaster. We always had, you know, there were two businesses, and when one business was going badly, maybe the other business was going well, and it it enabled you to make decisions that were probably slightly more risk risky than if you were thinking if all your eggs were in one, one you know, all your eggs in one basket. So it, it's. I think it's worked well having two businesses actually, and, and I think, um, and also you know they're obviously both online retail businesses, and you know both of them have faced similar problems at different times, and we can use you know, the experience from one business to apply you know, apply it to the other, and then it, it's been it's been very helpful.
0: I mean, given you you know you are in it for the long term, what what do you see as the as the next ten year challenge?
1: The next ten-year challenge and for is, you as well as uh, the business. I think. I think one of the things I think is very important in a business is growth, and I think the reason it's important is that it keeps the business interesting, not just for me but for the thirteen hundred people who are working in the business. And if you're going to have a business where people are really, everybody's really enjoying the business, you need to be in a growth. You need to be in a growth business. And and it's um, the interesting thing with direct businesses is is the, the lifeblood of a direct business. I suppose any business is new customers. Whatever business that you're in, you're going to be losing customers. You know, customers just don't need your product anymore, or or you know they die, or you know, for many many reasons, you will always be losing customers, and you need to you, You've need, got to to, recruit. you need to feed yeah. that engine. with yeah. new customers going in, and the problem is, is that as you grow, you know, the bigger you get, the more new customers you need to stand still, because you're feeding this sort of big engine with people dropping off the other side, and you're, and so that that gets hard. You know, you you can be adding, you know, if if you're adding a million new customers a year you will grow up to the point that a million new customers a year is not enough to keep you growing you have to be adding more and more new customers until you're adding just huge numbers and and that's a real i mean it's exciting actually because it's a big challenge you know how mm-hmm. do you add mm-hmm. you know we 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 you know we're looking to add 500,000 new customers a year that's a lot of
0: people to find. It's a big, cha- it's a big challenge, isn't it, it's for a business that's been around for a long time. It's a big you've been time. around
1: for a long time, yeah.
0: And I guess you've now expanded internationally, so to yeah. some extent that, that journey's yeah. on the way.
1: But in a way, it, it's all about, you know, that's why for 33 years I've been able to get up and, and say, yep, I'm going to go and sell some shows today, because there is a new, there is a new challenge every day. You know, it's about you know, the other thing, if you I suppose if you if you decide you're going to do something over a long period of time, you learn pretty quickly that, you know, that you you can either do things by revolution or you can do them by evolution. And actually evolution works a lot better than revolution. Because revolution, you if you're doing really big, dramatic changes, you know, you're gonna do one that just kills you. Whereas evolution, you know, every single day you're looking at everywhere in the business to make little tiny little changes that make the business a little bit better. And then you know, over the course of the year, the business actually overall gets a lot better. And then in the course of 10 years, you're really getting a pretty good business. And, um, and that's really what it is. It, it, it's about, you know, every day we want the business to get a little bit better. And we've got 1,300 people, hopefully, all trying to make little things a little bit better. And, and, and that keeps it going, and that keeps the growth going, and that keeps it exciting and keeps everybody, you know, engaged.
0: Mm. So if you reflect on those challenges you've had along the way, what would you say you've learnt from those from those challenges?
1: Um, I've, learned, I've learned that um, I think you need to you decide what you're going to do and then, and, and then do that. And don't try and do, um, ideally, don't try and do more than one thing. And if you get up in the morning and you think, right, today I am going to do one thing, you've got a good chance of doing that one thing. If you get up in the morning and you think, right, today I've got ten things to do, a, you're not going to do the thing that's the most important thing, which is hopefully the one thing you're going to do. You're not going to do that as well. You're probably not going to do it, actually complete it at all, and you're just going to get very distracted and do lots of lots of other things. So, it's a sort of, um, you know, I think it's it's very important to to just keep that focus, and and to do your one thing. And we, we you know, I, I mean, I have a not to do list because there are some <laughs> things that. They come up, you know. I get lots of customers. who say, you know, I I woke up this morning and I just had a complete eureka moment. Why aren't you selling in China? China is the biggest market in the world, and you know, there's a Chinese middle class that's growing at God knows how many billions of pounds a year, and how many billions of people are being added, and this, and they all wear shirts. This is a fantastic idea, and it's sort of, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it might be a good idea, but. You know, right now it, it's a complicated thing to do in China. You know, the Chinese are, you know, they have gone of the days. I mean, they're just not going to, you know, you've got to be damn good mm-hmm. and you've got to have certain specialities. You've got to really understand the market. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, China is on my not to do list because otherwise, you know, every time a customer sends this thing, you spend a whole, you have a lengthy correspondence and conversation with this customer telling them why you're not going to do it. Yeah. And they're telling you what you're wrong and you just waste a sh- load of time. And um, so I have my not to do list for various things on there where I just, people just write to me and say, look, you know, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not really going to go into a huge amount of detail as to why, because I'm not going to waste my time. And that sounds a bit, sounds a bit arrogant, but it's quite important because, you know, mm. time becomes, you know, time is a mm. premium. Yes. Um, and you need to make the most of it.
0: Yes, and at least you haven't got other shareholders to explain that answer to.
1: Yeah, well, that's, I mean that is the problem when you have other shareholders because yeah. you know if if somebody's a shareholder in a business, they have a right to to a say in how their business is run. And and you and what tends to happen is you end up you know quite often you'll have five big shareholders all with between five and fifteen percent of the business, and they all have a view, and they all believe that their view is right, and. You end up, all you end up doing is talking about, talking about views and not, not actually doing anything.
0: So, what would be your advice now to a young entrepreneur, someone who wants to build a business? What, what would you say to them was important?
1: The most important thing is to get on and start. Too many people just dilly dally around. You know, they do endless research, usually quite bad research, because they haven't got much money. So they tend to be, it tends to be quite biased. They'll, they'll sort of do, sort of ask a few friends and friends will just sort of tell them what they think they want to hear. <laughs> and I think there's nothing like just get going. And and also um, get going and do it with, preferably with no money because it's about, you've got to learn, you've got to learn the business. And if you do it with money, you're just going to lose it. and And that becomes, that's going to lead to problems because it's, if it's your money, you're going to lose it, and the, and you can only spend money once. And you're better off learning the business first, and then spending the money once you understand the business. If it's somebody else's money, at, at best they're going to be slightly annoyed. At worst, they're going to be they're not going to give you any more. No one's going to give you any more, and you're going to have you know burnt your bridges before you've before you got to them or whatever the right saying is.
0: That requires, I guess, a lot of discipline, really, because the world would. Probably push you in the opposite direction. It will probably push you in the in the direction of you know getting backing, as we've talked about before, getting external investment, and trying to grow it very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess you really have to be disciplined, and committed to what you're going to do to you know, follow you that to, advice. Yeah, don't you, you
1: do. Yeah, you do. I mean, you have to. Um... You know, you have to I mean, again, the, the, the analogy of the you know, the hare and the tortoise. I, I think as an entrepreneur, you need to decide whether you are the hare or the tortoise. Mm. And the hare will, you know, they have the business idea and god you know, they're off. And yeah, you know, the first they raise a load of money, they bring a load of partners in, they they're, they're trying to build it, and then, then if it goes well, they sell it and then they're off for the next one and then try and build that one, trying to raise more money, got you know, it's all rush, 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 running around like, you know, like a hare. And um and that's sort of all well and good, and there are some entrepreneurs who do that, and some entrepreneurs do that very well. But I think if you look at the, again, you know, looking back to the, you know, looking back to the people who've, the, the I suppose the family businesses in Europe that have done well, they just they started and they just did it slowly, and they have built incredible businesses, incredibly mm. strong.
0: Mm.
1: But they've done it; it's multi-generational, mm. you know, and that's a, it's a completely different outlook. And it becomes it becomes, you know, there's a difference between I mean like a lot of hares, you know, a lot of people will will say, you know, they they, they start a business because they want to make money. They think that starting a business is about making money. And I think a lot of hares are much more interested in the money. I think the tortoises are more interested in creating something special, you know, creating a legacy, creating something that wouldn't have existed if they didn't if they hadn't done it. And I think, you know. People are, you know, you, you you have to sit down and have a very honest sort of uh, conversation with yourself as to whether or not you're a hare, you know, whether you're a hare or a
0: tortoise. I sense also from listening to you that the motivation, the thing that got you up every day to follow this business, is not actually the money.
1: No, it's not the money. It's not the money. I used, to, I think you sort of. I mean, there's been all sorts of things written about, you know, what what money you need to be happy and to be, you know, what the, what's the optimum amount. And you get, you know, if you do the business, you know, I've done the business thirty three years, and and luckily, you know, the business has done quite well, and I may have made a bit of money, and I've taken some money out of the business, and you suddenly realise that actually, you know, it it just doesn't, you know, I, I've got everything I want, you unless you're the sort of person who wants to sort of stand on the top deck of your two hundred meter yacht in your diamond encrusted. Jacket and with a loud hailer telling everyone on the shore that you've got more money than they have. Mm. Um, if you're if, unless you're that sort of person, it, it's it's just not about the money, you know. It, it's there are so many other things in life that are just much more important, much more life-enhancing, much make you much happier. Um, and I think the sooner you and the problem is, is that it, it, people will sort of you know people who've got a, a, a little bit of money, it it. And against people, you know, if people have no money. They say it's all very well for you to say that because you've got the money. Yeah. And so it's a difficult, it's a difficult one because you need to, you need to, you need to get to the point where you've got a little bit of money to realize that actually it doesn't. Yes. It doesn't matter. Yes. It doesn't, it, it's important to have enough, you know, it, there's, a, there's a basic level. There's a basic level. Once you got to yeah. that level, it, it, it really is. It's not about, it's not about that at all. Yes.
0: Do you think that the success, apparent success of businesses like, Uber, Airbnb and the rest of it, to some extent does a bit of a disservice because, I mean, they're billion-dollar-valued companies and not made any money. Quite the opposite of your business.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a, you know, they they are hairs, aren't they? That's
0: where the glamour is, isn't
1: it? They are hairs, and that is where the glamour is because that's Mm. where, you know, when you open the papers and you read about entrepreneurs Mm. and businesses, if you ask people, you know, who are the great entrepreneurs at the moment, they will say, you know, Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Bezos yeah. um, I mean, actually, people like Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook has made money, and, yeah. and Google, Sergey Brin, Larry Page at Sergey Brin, they have made, yes. they've made, they've made money, so they're slightly yes. different. But, but it's I mean, more of right, the
0: newer generation, it, it isn't, isn't it?
1: It, like like it, it is the newer yeah. generation. It is the newer generation, and, you know, the question is, well, I mean, there's a lot of talk now about Uber, never, never, they're never going to make money, arguably, yeah. but... Um, <laughs> In a way, the thing about Uber, oh God, Uber—it's—it's it, it's a complex thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, if you ask Uber customers what they think of Uber, generally people love Uber. Yeah. Uber has provided a service. Super it's made absurd. lives yeah. very, very easy. Yeah. I think you know, there's an argument where you know, have they made the lives happier and better for the Uber drivers? And that's—I don't—I don't know the answer to that. You know, you you sort of. The problem is, is you get your information from newspapers. Newspapers will will have an angle; they have their own angle, which is not necessarily the truth. Um, I guess uh, you know nobody. Ha- you don't have to be an Uber driver if you don't want to be an Uber driver. Arguably, unless it is a thing of last resort. And you know how much are you making as an Uber driver? Are you making a living? You know, living wage. I mean, the, sort of. There are issues around it, but fundamentally, it feels like certainly from the customer point of view, it's a. If I would started Uber, I would be I'd, I'd be pleased because. I've made a lot of customers very happy, and I think they provided a service that that makes the world, you know, in many ways, a safer place. You know, my kids will will use an Uber, whereas there's no way they would have used a black cab yeah. because it was too expensive. Yeah, there's a
0: whole generation of young people who've um, grown up with it.
1: Yeah, and so they can get around at night, yeah. and it you know it is safer. I don't think a business has to make money. It doesn't. It doesn't have to make money. If if if, if there are, if there are shareholders for whatever reason are prepared to put money into a business, it is never going to make money you know they're not forced to put the money in no. and that business creates lots of lots of happy customers yes. happy people working the business mm. it it creates lots of jobs and then that's great you know i i think you know and, and everyone's it's a free world and you can choose whether to invest in them or not and and you know i i sometimes wonder why people invest in those businesses but you know well it, it,
0: in a strange kind of way it's like the philanthropic businesses of the past isn't it
1: yeah, and in it, is. Sort of yeah old- it is of
0: and, way. I think,
1: and I think you know, and, and, and Uber is is you know they 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 are pushing the boundaries in you know talking about the world's problem from uh you know the e- ecologically. I mean, you know pushing electric scooters, electric bicycles, um, you know electric air taxis, you know that are you know clean, that are safe, that are making making the world making the world a better place. I mean, mm. you know, good luck to them. I mean, it's, mm. it, it, it's great news. You know, you know, I think at some point we need to make a, I mean, I have a bit of, a, you know, living in London. I have a, you know, I, I ride a bicycle around, i go to Brompton, I ride a bicycle around London. And I think everyone should ride a bicycle. I think they should just ban cars. I mean, I think we've just got to sort of, you know, human rights sort of, you know, it goes, it goes so far. But I mean, if you're destroying the planet through, and, and, and you know, whether it's through cars or, 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 or whatever it is, then I think it comes a point when, you know, people have to make governments, have to make difficult decisions. Mm. And, um, you know, ban cars. You know, unless you have, unless you have to have a car because you're, you know, disabled or whatever the reason. And but you know, you, looking at people in cars, they should just get out. And they should walk or they should get on a bicycle. It's much healthier, and often it's quicker. You know, driving mm. around London, you, you average about mm. six miles an hour or something. It's ridiculous. Mm. Um, but that's a yeah, no, sort of wider, no,
0: like an, an interesting perspective. So, um, aside from the business, what's next for you? What's your the gender of things to do, you want to do.
1: Well, I suppose, I mean, at heart, I, 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 I am a, uh, I'm an entrepreneur. And, and so, by definition, you know, I like, I like small, I like small business. And I like creating business. And I like helping people create businesses. And I especially like persuading young people who think they can't start a business, finding the ones that can and helping them to do it, flicking that switch to make sure they, they, they give it a go. So, I do quite a lot of investing in, in smaller businesses, which I sort of find a little bit soulless, actually. Because um, a lot of investing is, you know, if you're investing, if you're not, you know, if you don't own and control a business, you can give advice, but people often won't listen to it, probably because they think it's not, well, obviously because they think it's not very good advice. But it's, I mean a bit, they're happy to take your money, but not your advice? happy to take the money, That's but not your advice. That's a strange combination. Yeah, I, <laughs> know, I know, I know. Um, but in a way, you know, the trouble is, is that, this is the problem when you raise money. You end up with lots and lots of shareholders, lots and lots of owners, and all those owners are going to give you lots of different advice. And you have to, you get to the point where you just can't, you know, because I'll be telling them one thing and another shareholder who might have more or less shares than me will be telling them another, which is a complete diametrically opposite thing. And so ultimately they get a bit fed up with that and they think, well, I'm going to do my own thing. But I think it's, um, you know, I like, I, you know, what I, if you know, if I can do things to help people to start businesses, Either by giving them money or advice, or talking—I you know, like talking in schools, I like talking at universities, you know, entrepreneurial societies, or people who are thinking about starting a business—and persuading them that actually, you know, if you want to go through life feeling like you've never done a day's work and and loving every day, then this is a this is a good this is a good uh, a good option.
0: Fantastic! It's been really good to talk to you, Nick. Thanks yeah, very much good. for your time. Thank you. next story makes a compelling case for the idea of building a sustainable, profitable business over the long haul. An approach to business that, as he explained, has many attractions over the ruthless, get rich quick model, which has become more fashionable for entrepreneurs today. In this Covid era, when over-leveraged businesses have suffered, the benefits of a longer-term view may have a resurgence. Only time, of course, will tell. I was lucky enough to work with Nick in the early 2000s when his business was at the early stages of global expansion. What struck me was how Nick's mindset and focus on the basics of delivering a better product at a fair price drove him, and ultimately, I suspect, His business success. I can't help wondering whether it was those early failures with photography, Christmas trees which gave him an allergic reaction and children's clothes that were the foundation for his philosophy. So in the era of the quick fix and the rapid transformation maybe it's time to celebrate the tortoise over the hare and the many benefits of just plugging away at it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, I'd like to ask you one simple thing. Share the episode with someone you think will be interested or might benefit from listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely.